Great. Well, before we get started tonight, I just want to, uh, I just want to encourage you in regards to that special offering that we just saw uh, that great video about. There's two things that happen when uh, Christians are invited to give. Uh, one is the thing that we're giving to, and the other is what that giving is about for us. And we've had three causes explained to us which are highly motivating in and of themselves. We want to see many more churches uh, like this planted all over Europe and beyond. And so we give our money to new ground. We love the idea of people who currently don't have access to eye care in Kenya getting access to eye care and all of that service being linked with wonderful local churches like ours out there in Kenya. And we want people to be able to come in this building, whatever their mobility uh, challenges or otherwise are at the moment. And so the idea of there being a ramp that would make that possible for us, we just think, yes, those are three things I want to see happen. But when we give, God is at work in our hearts. And he's putting a challenge before us really as to, well, who's in charge and who gets our affection? Who gets our trust? For many of us, in some ways or other, money is often the answer to those questions. Uh, What are we trusting in? What are we hoping in? Where is our security? And giving is not just an opportunity uh, to help finance some great things. But it's an opportunity to say to God, you are the Lord of my heart. You are the one who I trust with everything, in fact. In fact, I'm going to trust that it's better for me to have less money than I otherwise would have by giving to this cause. And I want to just encourage you, if you haven't done that before, it's a radically exciting thing to do. Uh, It is about giving your heart and your soul and your life uh, to God. And I want to encourage you this week, as you're thinking about what to give, that the Bible talks about giving sacrificially which doesn't mean from what you've got left over. It means giving so that it hurts, giving so that you can't actually do other things because you've given to this. And God wants to, he does something in our heart as we uh, make that kind of giving decision. And so I just want to put that challenge before you this week to seek God, to pray and say, Lord, what are you asking me to give? And let him raise the stakes in that for you. So that's my challenge. Now let's get on with the Word of God. Now, I don't know how many of you were conceived by a miracle which was announced by an angel, but that's how John the Baptist's story began. And that was uh, just before he was conceived. And then when he was born, uh, his father, who hadn't spoken for nine months because God had struck him dumb for doubting what God was going to do, his father was suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit and his father prophesied this about him. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's fair to say that John was brought up with high expectations. He was to be the herald of the fulfilment of God's ancient promises to rescue his people. And at this time, God's people were living under Roman occupation. Uh, The Romans had uh, put a wicked and godless king over them. And they were uh, just yearning for freedom. They were 
desperate for the day when God, as he had promised, would set them free. And it was John's job to say, that day has arrived. John's entire life was preparation. For 29 years, he learned God's ways and God's word. Aware that it was his cousin Jesus whom he would announce to the world as the saviour. God took John out into the wilderness and spoke to him just as he had spoken to the prophets of old. Something that had not happened amongst God's people for around 400 years. John returned and preached the message that he'd been given of the long-awaited arrival of the Messiah, Israel's true king. And people flooded to hear him speak and thousands from all over the country came, heard and were baptised as a response to what he was saying and as a demonstration of their renewed commitment to God. He was probably the most famous man in the land. And then the day came when Jesus came to him and was baptised by him and John was right there as the heavens were opened and God spoke. Spoke and John and Jesus heard, and John saw the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus and stay on him, and he knew the moment had come. A few weeks later, Jesus launched his public ministry by reading from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. These were words that John had known and lived with all his life. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus read, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. What a time to be alive. What a time to be John the Baptist. And it was at this time, of great excitement, on the very edge of fulfilment, that John was arrested and thrown into prison for challenging King Herod's immoral behaviour. And there he stayed, while Jesus went around proclaiming that the kingdom of God had come. And that's why what we're going to read tonight which is a, uh, has, a, has a line from John that might shock and surprise us. Because in Luke 7, just after Jesus had healed one person without being really even in the same county as him, and then had raised another from the dead at that person's funeral, John says to him, so he sends a message to him saying, are you the Messiah? And if you're reading this now, you think, John, of course he's the Messiah. Like, of course he is. You, I mean, you know. You know who he is. He's your cousin. He was brought up. You were told the whole Christmas story. You know this. You saw the Spirit fall on him. You heard the Father say what he said to him. He's just healed even more people. You've heard that he's raised someone from the dead. And you're saying to him, are you the one or should we look for another? Why is John asking this question? Well, Because Jesus said that he had come to proclaim liberty to the captives. And John was captive and was still captive. John's father prophesied that God would come 
following John, and God would save us from our enemies. God would cause the sunrise to give light in the darkness. And John's saying, well, this isn't happening. Let's read how Jesus responds to him in Luke chapter 7, verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. This is the the healing of the servant of a Roman centurion at a distance, the raising of a dead man at his funeral. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. We are doing a preaching series called Jesus Saves, because we are excited at what Jesus has done and what he continues to do. We want to understand it fully and how it applies to our life. And those of us who are Christians here want to play our part alongside him in this great mission that he has got. And this is great news. It's wonderful. And the whole series is full of amazing things that Jesus does. He welcomes sinners. He heals people. He loves our worship. But tonight, we're looking at what happens when Jesus doesn't do what we expect him to do. There were many things that made John the Baptist unique among all the people who have ever lived. But experiencing disappointment with God isn't one of them. All of us, at some point, go through times when Jesus doesn't do what we expect, what we hope for. And maybe if you're not a Christian here this evening, one of your big objections to Christianity, you're saying, this is all very well, but there are all these things that happen and have happened in my own life that make me just think, I just can't believe this. Well, sometimes we find very quickly afterwards, when we're in a situation where something happens, we wish it wasn't happening, we find very quickly afterwards that God was working for our immediate good. Situation changes or the situation's resolved or we come through it and we realise, man, I was really proud or selfish or hateful beforehand. And because I've been taken through this experience by God, I've really changed and he's really changed me and he's been at work in me. Or we realise that the plan that he had come up with was loads better than the plan that we had and we're so glad that he didn't do what we expect. That kind of thing. But not everything that happens can be explained or understood in these ways. And John's imprisonment was that kind of situation. Some of you may know that uh, last autumn, my dad suddenly became very ill and died a few weeks later. It was completely unexpected. And there were many moments of God's kindness throughout that time and since. But I, I miss him every day. And I'm, I'm living with a sadness the like of which I've never experienced before. And 
So is my mum, and so is my sister, and so are my sister's two little girls, who he absolutely adores. One of the charities that Deb and I give to is called Open Doors, and these guys work with persecuted Christians around the world, and they let us know the work that they're doing and the stories and the people they're involved with, and they tell us about people suffering horribly because of their faith in Jesus. And again, there are moments in those stories when we read about them. There are glimpses of dazzling light amidst the darkness. But it can still feel like John in his prison cell. Why have you let this happen if you are who we think you are? Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Now there is much more that can be said about these kind of questions and these kind of issues than we've got time for tonight. And when they hit you personally, you may need uh, a lot of help, even expert help, uh, to process what you have to go through. But let's look tonight at how Jesus responds to John here. He says to him, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, this is one of several statements Jesus makes about blessing, which have absolutely no relation to hashtag blessed as used by most people. Yeah, hashtag blessed is for those who are somewhere sunny. In fact, you can even imagine uh, various social media statuses drifting up from the meadows and other areas of Edinburgh today in a way they wouldn't have done if it was a cold and howling, windy, wet kind of day. It's for those uh, who are with someone they love. It's for those who are achieving their goals or living their dreams not those who are in a prison cell. I mean, hashtag blessed is released from prison, surely. And yet Jesus says to John, you can be blessed today. He makes this offer to him and to all of us that we can know true blessing, even in times of confusion and devastation, by not being offended by him. By not letting Whatever is happening, change our opinion of God for the worse. Because that is what is at stake in these moments. And he's going to ask you to trust him when it seems impossible. To not turn away from him when he doesn't do what he could do. God will work with us to make this happen because we surely cannot do it by ourselves. So how does Jesus do this with John? Well, he doesn't do it by explaining himself. He doesn't say, go and give John these three irrefutable reasons for his current situation. He doesn't. We won't always get told why things happen. And I don't think it would help anyway, but it's what many of us often want Instead of an explanation, Jesus gives assurance. And it is this that will help us to keep trusting and loving him, whatever else is going on. Jesus says to John's friends, tell him what you've seen and heard. Look, listen, and believe. There are several places that we 
should look in these moments. And the first is to look at your life right there and then, right in the present, because God is always working for our good. And there is always some evidence of this. Now, it may take quite a while to find that evidence. It may be so much pressing in front of your eyes, it's making you despair that it's hard to find the things that are evidence of God's goodness. Having a habit of thankfulness will sharpen your eyesight. If you learn to give thanks when there's loads of good things around and you're considering all of them, you're learning to spot them, it will help you to do the same when there seem to be fewer of those around. You may end up with something as basic as, well, I have air to breathe right now. James 1 verse 17 tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. There's no good thing you ever receive that hasn't come from God's hand. So God might not be doing exactly what we expect, but he is doing a lot of things that we need. And these are demonstrations to us of his love for us. The second place to look is in your past. Psalm 143 verses 3 to 5 model this for us. Here's how the psalmist starts. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I Remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. That's the turning point of that psalm. That's the turning point for that person's faith in that awful time. Maybe it's worth you keeping a written record of the particular ways in which God has been good to you. It's really easy to forget these precious things which we need to remember constantly, but they are often blown from our memory in the midst of hard times. And suddenly we're thinking, I'm just not sure God's ever been good to me. And it's, that's why pen and ink are helpful because they, they don't disappear. They're like, no, no, here's, here are those things. Here's that moment when he encountered you so powerfully and you knew that he was real. Here was that perfectly timed Bible reading where you were wrestling with a question, you opened the Word of God and there was the answer right there for you. Here was that time when a friend intervened and gave you that grace you needed. Here's that time when God answered that prayer wonderfully, spectacularly for you. Here's that story you heard of that was incontrovertibly God's goodness at work. These are the kind of things we need to remind ourselves of but what they all do is point to the one thing we must never Forget, just as Jesus was doing in Luke 7, the good news was preached to you and God gave you the, response, the grace you needed to respond to it, to believe it. The people of God in the Old Testament, they, when they were trying to get their minds straight again as to who God was and who he is, they always looked back to the Exodus, the moment when God released them from slavery in Egypt and brought them out into freedom. And that's what almost certainly Psalm 143 is doing there. When he says, I'm meditating on your works and I remember the days of old, he's saying, I remember you brought me out of slavery and into freedom. For Christians, we are to look to the cross. You may be in physical prison, 
But Jesus' death has set you free from the prison of sin and death that you could never escape from by yourself. Something unfair may well be happening to you, but the most fair thing ever that you be punished for your many sins against God is not going to happen if you've put your trust in Jesus. You may have a shorter life than you would have hoped for, but Jesus has made the way for you to enter eternal life with him. Your salvation is entirely God's work. The Father planned it. The Son achieved it. The Spirit made you alive to it. There is no greater gift than this. Have this and lose everything else and eternity will still not be long enough for you to praise him with the thankfulness that is in your heart. Awful circumstances may make us forgetful of this, but it is the most true thing in the entire universe. We need to remind ourselves of it. We need to look at what God's done in our lives. And we need to look around us as well. Now, this point is, this is tricky. And most of us would flinch from it. But I think there's grace here if we're able to see it. See, John may not have been set free. But plenty of others were. In that hour, Luke says, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. Now, don't ask the question, well, why is it happening for them and not for me? Because you probably won't get an answer. In Acts 12, James and Peter, two of Jesus' closest followers, are arrested by another rubbish king called Herod. James is killed and Peter is miraculously set free. In Hebrews 11, it says in verse 34 that because of their faith, some people escaped being killed by the sword. And in verse 37, it says that some people, because of their faith, were killed by the sword. Both options are always possible for us. If it's the edge of the sword that we're experiencing, looking at those who aren't can actually help us to keep trusting in God. Now, you can't do this if you're experiencing jealousy of them or resentful comparison. And that's why we need the gospel to shape our mind accordingly. We need to know that our entire lives aren't what we deserve, that, that we have been given something far greater uh, than we ever should have been given. But if, we are, and if we're able to look that way, we can rejoice in God's blessing of others. I'm really not saying this in a casual way because I've, it's, it's hard. But they are in a season of experiencing God's present goodness, which should remind the rest of us that he is good all the time. With faith, all things are possible. Faith enables us to see things we could not otherwise see. Even the hand of God in the blessing of others whilst we suffer. So we're to look and we're to listen. 
Listen to what God is saying. Jesus said, tell John what you've heard. My experience of 20 years or so of being a Christian is that I need to listen to God's word daily for his promises and his reminders of what he's like in order to keep trusting him. Jesus told us uh, in his, the prayer that he taught us, he said, ask for bread every day. And for me, this is bread every day. The book of Lamentations was written in the aftermath of God's destruction of his people through the invading forces of Babylon. And its writer is as devastated as the ruins of the city he's living in. And in chapter three of that book, he speaks of his experience. He says, I'm the man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. To which you have to ask, where did he get that conclusion from? He clearly didn't get it from looking around the city. But centuries earlier, Recorded in Exodus 34, God had revealed himself to Moses with these words. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That word for steadfast love appears 120 times in the book of Psalms, which was Israel's songbook. God had declared it about himself and so they kept singing it. And because they kept singing it, when ones or twos or even the entire nation were going through hard times, they remembered it. It was in their head. It was like an earworm. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And they're looking around thinking, can this be true? Yes, because God has declared it. How do I feel about God today is a very important question. In both those Old Testament readings that we've looked briefly at, both from the Psalms and from the book of Lamentation, the writer doesn't take a British mustn't grumble perspective on things, does he? He doesn't have that kind of attitude. He's not like, well, I mean, some things aren't going quite as well as I'd have liked, but what will you... No, no, he's like, this is what's going on. This is the same as John saying, is it you to Jesus? It doesn't hold back. They pour out their complaint. But we must answer the question, how do I feel about God today? By asking another, what has God who does not lie and never changes said about himself? Search after these vital truths and reminders in the Bible and let them Determine how you feel about God today. As you do this, he may also speak in other ways. He may bring prophetic encouragements given to you particularly or to you generally uh, in meetings like we've had today. He can use the words of a friend to comfort or encourage you or, or those of a writer online, in a book, in a song, even in a sermon. 
as we listen to what God is saying, we're unable to believe. Jesus tells John to look and listen, to consider what he has seen and what he has heard and believe. There are many things before our eyes. Some of them confirm God's goodness and some have the potential to make us doubt it. And there are very many voices in our ears, some of them telling us lies and some of, us, some of them speaking the truth. Looking and listening with faith will enable us to hold on to what is true. And this will help us to not be offended by Jesus, even when he doesn't do what we expect. And in this way, Jesus saves us. We will be blessed with him forever because we didn't turn away from him in our darkest times. I don't know if you know how John's story ended. He was murdered in prison. The king held a party in which his stepdaughter performed a dance so intoxicating that he offered her anything she wanted and she asked for John's head on a plate. And because there was a big crowd there and he felt embarrassed about saying, I don't really want to do that, he did it. What did Jesus do when he heard about this? Well, again, it's not exactly what we might expect. We know that he wept at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend, whom he knew he was going to raise from the dead, like the next moment. So how must he have been, how must he have felt here? He must have been devastated by his cousin's death with all the memories they'd shared together growing up. Jesus' baptism, that John was right there as his right-hand man. To John's troubled question that we've looked at today, all these and more must have been in his mind. And no doubt he was also reminded of his own death and how much worse it was going to be. Instead of a swift sword, the torture of crucifixion. Instead of a prison cell, on public display to be humiliated. And instead of satisfying an awkward moment at a party, satisfying the wrath of God Almighty for the sins of the world. How must he have felt? Well, Matthew's gospel tells us how he responded. It says in Matthew 14, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He wants to be alone, to mourn and to pray. He he sets off to do that. And what happens? They all come after him. These ones who he knows at the moment are all for him because he does miracles. And in just a short while's time, will all call for his death. What would you do? I mean, you're Jesus. You've got a lot of power. You could have cleared them all out of there. And he doesn't. Because he has compassion on them. And he heals all their sick. And then he teaches them. And then he miraculously feeds them. Because this is where the feeding of the 5,000 happens. And then... He continued his journey to the cross. His death is so familiar to most of us, it was not what anyone expected then. But Jesus knew there was no other way to save wretched sinners like the crowd that followed him and like me 
and like you. And it's this truth that helps us to see and believe that it's a good thing that Jesus doesn't always do what we expect. There will be moments, years even, when we will struggle with situations so difficult they'll make us wonder if God is even really good. But by looking at what he has done and is doing, and to listen, and by listening to what he has said, we will get the grace we need to endure. The road to life is death. The next thing John heard after the swish of the sword was the roar of heaven's welcome, a welcome that Jesus had won for him. He had set the prisoner free, just as he promised. Let's not be offended at Jesus when he doesn't do what we expect. We're going we're gonna to sing a song uh, to end, so if the band could come up. And it's a song that I basically have a point where I always want to explain it. Uh, because uh, the coda says repeatedly, you're never going to let me down. And that is true. What we've seen tonight is that Jesus will never let us down. If we put our trust in him, he will save us to the uttermost. But there are many times when it will feel like he has let us down. And that's why I always worry about singing it, because for most of us, unthinkingly, when we say you'll never let us down, we say, you'll always do what I want. And that's not the case. But he will never let us down. And he is good all the time. 